Welcome back to Series 3 of the Thirst Podcast. Ed, it's amazing be, to be back. It should be welcome to Series 3 of the podcast, I'd imagine, because we're not welcoming Let's not back. get off on the wrong foot. It's a new, <laughs> okay. it's a new format. Okay. It's a new series. New format. Be happy. Packed um, full of wisdom, I think. Basically, we're going to be exploring uh, philosophical issues that are going to be more up-to-date, mm-hmm. current, in the news, things like that. We're going to ram philosophy down your throats, <laughs> basically, is what we're going to do. What have, you got, what have you got in store for us today, Rob? I sent you a little bit of homework, go out and find a contemporary issue we could discuss. What, what have you found? Well, in the news recently, there's been um, a big hoo-ha about euthanasia and the right to die. Oh. So... Um, The case in particular at the forefront of especially the British public is uh, the case of Tony Nicholson and uh, his battle with his wife and family against uh, the court to try and be euthanized. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any specifics for the for the children listening at home who might (laughs) who might not be familiar with the case? Uh, Tony Nicholson has a condition called locked in syndrome. Um, which basically means that he cannot move or communicate due to complete paralysis. And in his case, he had a stroke. So that has impedes all his motor functions, okay. apart from uh, a couple of muscles in his face and his eyes. Right. So he communicates via his little computer, a little bit like Stephen Hawking. Okay. But in the absence of statutory regulation, Nicholson was fighting for a common law in defence of necessity to be granted by doctors who help people to die after an order has been sought from the courts. Uh, at present, voluntary euthanasia uh, constitutes murder and a, a life sentence in prison. Basically, it's 14 years in prison for euthanizing someone or assisted suicide. And well, I think it, at this point, we need to clear up some terms before we get into the the sticky stuff. Definitely, definitely, Rob. Um, so basically, the, the situation with, with Tony was that it was against the law for him to be euthanized. My Am I right in suggesting this? Yeah. He was unable to kill himself because of his condition. Yeah. And he was seeking the right to die, the right for someone to help him to die. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, which is against the law in England. Yeah, and we should say that at the end, um, the court denied his plea and said it wasn't really an issue for the court, so it was a, an issue for Parliament. Yeah. Um, well, let's get to the ending uh, later, the ending of that story later. Um, but as you say, it's worth unpacking the terms right away. So do you want to just just yeah, take, well, a, take anyone, us through? Anyone who doesn't know what euthanasia is, it's basically um, the termination of a very, very sick person in order to relieve them of suffering. And there's um, several different types of euthanasia. Um, voluntary, non-voluntary, and involuntary. Um, so voluntary euthanasia mean, basically means that the person wants to die and he says so. So he's asking for help with dying. And, like uh, in the case with Tony? Um, yeah, basically. Um, so he can refuse burdensome medical treatment yeah. and things like that, yeah. which is eventually how he did go. He, he refused to eat and he refused to drink. So yeah. um, he died of pneumonia, unfortunately, in hospital, which is quite sad. But um, I guess he got what he wanted in the end. But his Perhaps argument... That's not the way he wanted it. Exactly. He's saying you know, is there an easy way to do this? Let's get back to the terms. <laughs> There's um, non-voluntary. So the person cannot make a decision uh, or make their wishes known. And this includes people in a coma mm-hmm. or senile people, people yep. with uh, severe mental issues yep. or people that are too young, e.g. babies and very young children. Yeah. And then there's involuntary euthanasia, which um, where a person chooses to live 
but it's killed anyway. <laughs> so, murder. So basically, murder is what they're saying. Yeah. I think there's there are certain differences between murder and involuntary. I think in involuntary, you're acting in what you perceive to be the best interests of the person, whereas in murder, I don't think that that distinction holds. Yeah, you came up with quite a good example earlier. Um, for example, if a person, if a soldier in Afghanistan had stood on a landmine and uh, his stomach had been blown out and the doctor on scene knew that there's, uh, say, an ambulance or a support helicopter was going to come in, say, 20 minutes, but he thought that that soldier was going to die anyway. Yeah. So to stop him, the pain and suffering, he just takes out his little pistol and shoots him in the head and that would be involuntary euthanasia if the soldier says save me please yeah and the the medic takes it on his own hands and just shoots him in the head yeah so yeah like you said there is a a distinction but it's it's very 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 fine one yeah yeah um i think it's worth pointing out that because we're only going to do 15 minute episodes we won't be able to deal with all types of euthanasia Mm. so i think what we should talk about is voluntary euthanasia because i think that's that's where the real debate uh, seems to be especially with and that's what's case. been in the news recently yeah so. exactly so we won't count uh involuntary or non-voluntary euthanasia although of course that they are topics to be discussed mm. um we'll just focus on on voluntary euthanasia but there, there are other distinctions to bear in mind aren't there with with issues of euthanasia yeah I mean, there's passive and active which is um what comes to the forefront really i mean if someone is decide or it does become legal to euthanize someone, it's how someone is euthanized. Right. Is it passively or actively? So at the moment, passive euthanasia occurs when a patient dies because the medical professionals either don't do something necessary to keep the patient alive, or when they stop doing that something that uh, that's keeping the patient alive, they die. So such things as switching off life support machines right. or disconnecting feeding tubes, etc., like that, or don't give life-giving drugs. Okay. Um, and then there's active euthanasia where um, a medical professional or another person deliberately does something that causes the person to die. So injecting a lethal drug or something. Them. Yeah. Okay. So um, active euthanasia would be an act of commission. You're doing something. Whereas yeah. passive euthanasia would be an act of omission. You're not, mm. you're not doing anything. You're just doing nothing. Mm. Okay. Um, and Rob, do you believe that there are any relevant moral differences between active and passive euthanasia? Um, no, I don't think so, to be honest with you. I think it's nice to think that maybe in passive euthanasia, you not doing something removes you from some of the moral obligation you think to yourself, mm, I didn't actually kill him. I put, you know, said feeding tube there in the first place. So I can yeah. take it out again and he'll still die yeah. of, uh, you know, lung cancer yeah. or a stroke. Yeah. But it's the act of you taking out that feeding tube that kills him mm-hmm. in my opinion i think you could you could blame the lung cancer but he wouldn't have died unless you took that so you're that saying that in both out. cases so i think they're both you know same morally okay that's that's interesting because um it's long been assumed that there is a difference between passive and active euthanasia morally speaking and that informs medical practice. Um, I know I said we wouldn't talk about non-voluntary mm. stuff, but it is legal, I believe, in some countries. Um, non-voluntary passive euthanasia is legal. For example, uh, someone who's in a persistent vegetative state, yeah. you can pull the plug. Um, right. Uh, but you can't 
hold a pillow over their head or in- inject them with oh, okay. something that will kill them. Um, and that sort of distinction persists in, in the voluntary sphere. So are those people that would say that we should legalize passive voluntary euthanasia because it's not as bad as you think it's not the same as active euthanasia yeah that's it that's interesting i read something on the internet on the on the depths of the internet about uh it's an analogy basically so there's two situations say smith um he's going to inherit a massive fortune if it wasn't for his six-year-old cousin yeah so his, his cousin's taking a bath and he slips into the bathroom and drowns him actively yeah. there and then yeah and then you know he gets the money and then situation number two Mr. Jones, same situation. He gets a massive amount of money if his little six-year-old cousin dies. Yeah. Um, and he goes into the bathroom to murder him again. But this time, uh, the little boy slips over, cracks his head, and then slips under the water and drowns anyway. And yeah. he just stands there and watches. And I think um, if you got explained both of those two situations and you said to Mr. Jones, you know, why why didn't you do anything? You say, well, I didn't, I didn't actually kill him. I just sat there and watched him die. Yeah. I don't think you'd be very impressed with Mr. Jones anyway, would you? No, you, you certainly wouldn't. And I think you'd look at them on a, on a similar level, wouldn't you morally? Yeah. Uh, in, in that scenario, I think you would. I mean, it's, it's, it's possible to, to doubt the veracity of that analogy because in the analogy, both Smith and Jones are fairly villainous characters yeah, with yeah. clear intentions to do wrong. Whereas, mm. In the case of euthanasia, you imagine that a doctor would always have, well, in an ideal world, you'd imagine that a doctor would always have their patient's best interests at heart. So I think the analogy can be questioned, but still I think the intuition is there if we think that there's no significant difference. If we don't think Jones, who who merely stood back ready to drown the kid but didn't actually need to, Mm. if we don't think he's as bad as Smith, who actually drowned the kid, then why should we expect uh, passive euthanasia to be any better than than active euthanasia and in fact while we're on the subject there are issues i mean there are arguments for saying that active euthanasia is actually better if anything because with passive euthanasia it can take days for somebody yeah, to I, die yeah i totally agree i think if you're going to euthanize someone you have to do it actively okay because the whole point of euthanizing someone is to uh lessen their suffering right to put them out of their misery basically right. And if you're going to do that, I think you should do it as, you know, as soon as possible. As quickly as possible, yes, because, of course, if you remove... We don't, I mean, if you look in the US and you uh, go on to death row, you don't have people dying of starvation and uh, dehydration. They're, they're That's being, a very good point. They're being put out of their misery instantly. So why should we let these people who haven't committed crimes sit there and starve or contract a life-threatening disease that does finish them off? Okay, so... You're of the opinion that if if we're going to legalise euthanasia, it might as well be active, or it yeah. should be active rather than passive. Yeah, okay, I totally agree. I think that's that's a fairly interesting point. Um, and certainly with the Tony Nicholson case, presumably path- passive euthanasia would have been of no help to him because we should point out that he wasn't going to die from yeah, his syndrome. That's exactly right. When he got told the the verdict that the courts weren't going to help him in his right to die. Um, he quoted, I think it was something along the lines with, uh, well, great, now I have to wait for something natural to kill me like cancer. Yeah, that, that was his only hope. And that, it's horrific, isn't it, to, to wish for cancer to kill you rather than yeah. being allowed to die with dignity. Yeah, that's, that seems to me to be a perverse way of, of viewing uh, the right to life. Um, 
yeah, so I think it, it, in cases such as his, passive euthanasia would be of no use. So mm. what we're really moving into questioning here is the right to die, um, whichever way it is, passively, actively, uh, voluntary, non-voluntary, how, however, however you want to conceive of it. It's long been held that, you know, human beings have a right to life. Is there a corresponding right to die? Yeah. Uh, that's the real issue, that that situations like Tony Nicholson um, throw some light upon. Um, and it, it is, as, as you as you said earlier, I think it's quite poignant that uh, when the verdict didn't go the way he wanted, he, he was forced or he chose to, to starve himself yeah. to death. Yeah. Um, not in protest, I wouldn't have said at the decision, but rather it's the only way that he could go legally without there was nothing imprisoning his wife for fourteen years or yeah, and or, I guess or his doctor the question for us is what why would you have a reason not to say that okay, in this case and cases like it, it's acceptable for someone to help him die I've got, what, what arguments would you have against euthanasia could you have against euthanasia in these circumstances that, that's exactly the point i've got an interesting fact i mean when you say people are against euthanasia in in britain recently uh polling reveals that 80 percent of british citizens and 64 percent of britain's general practitioners are in favor of euthanasia being legalized that is uh, parliament has refused to pass any laws and in 1997 the british parliament voted 234 uh, to 89 to defeat the seventh attempt to legalise the act. And that's the seventh attempt. It's not just once or twice. <laughs> no. It's gone to Parliament seven times. Well, I think this is a, a perfect case of science being uh, faster than uh, ethics. <laughs> science in this case has evolved much faster than our ethics has. Um, that is interesting that you say that because what, what does often get neglected in, in debates about euthanasia is what it's like for the doctors to be in this position. So although we can philosophically try and justify we could say okay uh you should have a right to die it's quite a different thing to say to the doctor right mate you've now got to hold a pillow over his head until he stops scratching i, hate, I know the nhs is low on funding but <laughs> i hate to think that they smother their they, the victims they're going to use they probably didn't have enough pillows to <laughs> that's very true you probably didn't have a pillow probably on the floor somewhere um but yeah, leaving that aside, I mean, let's just try and see if we can find a philosophical reason why people in these circumstances shouldn't be euthanized. And I think there's one obvious reason why you would argue against euthanasia, and that's going to be that you believe it's sinful. Um, mm. So if you're religious, it, it's not a good thing generally. Yeah, for all of the, the things that have gone to Parliament for votes, the main uh, opposition for uh, euthanasia have been uh, religious groups, mainly the Catholic Church. Yeah. They don't um, like it. Well, no, I can understand that. Um, but again, this is a ph philosophical podcast, so we'll leave religion to one side. Why else might you worry about euthanasia? And what, one of the reasons that is often raised is that if you were to get the ball rolling with cases like, like the Tony Nicholson, if you were to legitimize euthanasia in those cases, then it might lead to a, what they call a slippery slope to a situation where doctors and relatives can press people into accepting mm. euthanasia against their will and for reasons not related to their welfare. Um, and I think a revealing um, uh, insight in, into why this might be a danger is that most people, when they're asked, most people who are terminally ill, when they're asked to list their five reasons why they want to die, they don't include pain. Rather, they include things like not wanting to be a burden, yeah. etc., which... 
I think is quite interesting. It's guilt, isn't it? That's what it comes down to. And that, oh. and you never want that. Yeah. You never want that to be the case. So I think one of the divisive issues about euthanasia is how you can possibly tell whether a terminally ill person is within their right mind to want them to want their own death. Um, and that's very difficult to do. But I think often we lose sight of what matters in the debate. Um, and that is the reaction that Tony Nicholson had. I'm not sure if you've seen it when the verdict got, got read out. He's just yeah, sobbing it's, hysterically. It's heartbreaking, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? It's heartbreaking to watch. And For a man who's lost all control of his motor functions and only a couple of uh, muscles in his face, I don't think I've seen a man wrought with such emotion as I mm. did when I saw Nicholson's face after that verdict. It's it terrible. But, I mean, we're not here to make arguments, uh, emotional arguments. This exactly. Is, this is about logic. Um, Which Tony said again. That he's, yeah. I think a, another quote from him was that he did everything logically right in his mind, but he forgot to account for the emotional element. Right. Um, and, I'm, I mean, I guess what we're skirting around is is the question, why is the right to life so important that we can't possibly reconcile ourselves to the thought that some people might legitimately want to end their life before its natural courses up. So, I mean, what do we value about living? Do we value living in itself or is it, you know, w what life entails, the enjoyments that come with it? And it seems to me that it can't possibly be life in itself because otherwise we would say to people, like poor people or sick people, you know, you have your life, go away and get on with it. It's not our problem. I think we recognise, our social system recognises that there's, m there's more to life than life itself. We, we recognise that there's certain things everybody must have, you know, a right to free, uh, clean water, uh, housing, mm, food. Healthcare. Exactly. So my point is we recognise that it's not just life that's important. It's, it's a good life. It's the quality of life that matters. So the state helps those who can't secure the essentials for life themselves with, with the welfare system. So why, when all these attempts to help people have a good quality of life have failed. Why can't the state help a person of sane mind end their suffering? I think that's that's the question. Uh, and it's often said that you know doctors have a duty to prolong life. Mm. And I don't think that's that's true at all. I think they have a duty to save lives, but they certainly don't have a duty to prolong suffering. So I just don't understand if a person wants to die for good reasons, why can't we help them? Um, yeah, that was a, a great a great quote from. Um What's his name? Jack. Uh, Jack Kavornikin. Is oh, that yeah. the one? Maybe. Dr. Death. You oh, know, yeah. You know, Dr. Death. You know of him. Yeah. He said, what difference does it make if someone's terminal? We're all terminal. Nice. So, <laughs> so I think it puts it quite concisely there. Recognising that people can have a right to die, even like, like Tony Nicholson, can have a right to die even if yeah. their condition is not going to kill them. Their, their life is so miserable that... It's about the quality of life. And, you know, you often hear people say that we treat animals with more respect <laughs> than we treat people because at least we'll put them out of their suffering. You've I suppose out of cat videos on YouTube. <laughs> what, what we don't want and what we should obviously be aware of is, um, yeah, I know we're running out of time, <laughs> is um, we don't want it to lead to this slippery slope argument because I would, I would hate for, you know, the politicians to listen to the first podcast and think, oh, no, we better change the laws 
these guys. That'd be great, though, if we could influence Parliament with one 20-minute podcast. It would be great, and I'm sure we could. Um, but here's a, a warning to Cameron, if you're listening. Um, I, we, we do understand the, the power of the, of the fear that legitimising um, euthanasia in certain cases, like Tony Lickinson, could mm. lead to a state of affairs where people are pressed into uh, suicide, uh, uh, into euthanasia against their will. But what I would say is there doesn't seem to me at least to be a sound philosophical reason not to allow some people in some circumstances to end their life in circumstances of their choosing rather than to have to starve for a week. Yeah, I second that totally. Good, then I'm glad we've achieved something in our first 20-minute podcast. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Um, It's been been a little bit of a depressing topic, but we hope it's been you know poignant and at least interesting to listen to i'm sure it has been (laughs) (laughs) anyway that's a wrap yeah that's a wrap as always if you like the podcast and have any issues that you want to raise or any ideas for further podcasts then you can always get in touch with us via our spanking new website which i'm sure you heard about in uh our little promo episode might as well do it again we might as well do it again www.thirstpodcast.com nice check out the pictures check out the links yeah check out ed's blog thank you and uh, don't check out my blog. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, always Twitter as well, at Third Podcast, and um, our hashtag, Ed and Rob, if you want to get in touch with us specifically. Uh, Facebook, as always, email, uh, thethirstpodcast at gmail.com, and then iTunes, as always. The big one. Like, subscribe, and five stars. And in the meantime, stay thirsty, everyone. I always do.